0: The reading is from Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. A son honours his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honour due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, How have we shown contempt for your name? you place defiled food on my altar but you ask how have we defiled you by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible when you bring blind animals for sacrifice is that not wrong when you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals is that not wrong try offering them to your governor would he be pleased with you would he accept you says the Lord Almighty now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands will he accept you says the Lord Almighty oh that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar I am not pleased with you says the Lord Almighty and I will accept no offering from your hands my name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun in every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name "'Because my name will be great among the nations,' says the Lord Almighty. "'But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, "'It is defiled, and of its food it is contemptible. "'And you say, what a burden, "'and you sniff at it contemptuously,' says the Lord Almighty. "'When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals "'and offer them as sacrifices, "'should I accept them from your hands,' says the Lord." Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, and good morning if you're joining us online. Let's pray as we start. God, we thank you for your word. As we explore it together now, would you open our eyes, would you enlighten our hearts, and would you draw us closer to you? Amen. So today is the second in our series uh, on the book of Malachi, and today we're going to think about what it means to be wholehearted in our worship in, in our service to God, and to reflect on whether we truly love God Above all else. But first, a bit of context about this book, especially if you weren't here last week. Malachi was a prophet, and this book was a message from God to the Israelites through Malachi. It was actually God's last word to the Israelites for 400 years. And it happened about 100 years after the Israelites had um, returned from exile in Babylon. So they've been back in Jerusalem for a while, the temple's been rebuilt, worship has been re-established. To all intents and purposes, they're in a period of post-crisis normality, which may have some resonance for us right now. I know David explored that last week and we'll dig into it a bit further today. Unfortunately, things aren't going particularly well with the Israelites at the time of this prophecy, and last week we heard about how they doubted and questioned whether God really loved them, and in the passage we heard today, which takes the form of a dialogue between God and his people, we see God accusing them of dishonouring him by not being wholehearted in their worship and by bringing second-rate sacrifices. And what he says is largely addressed to the priests, but the people Are very definitely implicated too. Imagine for a moment that you're planning to give a gift to someone maybe a husband, a wife, a parent, a child, or a close friend. Somebody that you really care about. How'd you go about it? You'd probably take time choosing or even making the gift, you'd think carefully about what they'd really like and appreciate. probably involves some sacrifice on your part, whether of time or of money. Why? Because you value the person. You want them to feel appreciated and special. You want them to know they're special to you. For a person who means something to you, you don't just shove a fiver in an envelope or grab the first thing off the shelf or from the back of your cupboard. But what we see in this passage is that far from bringing their best to God, The Israelites are bringing gifts that don't really matter to them, that don't mean very much, that are easy to give, and that don't honour him. The shallowness of their worship stands in contrast to the richness of God's love that we heard about last week. Effectively, religion has become a formality and not a priority, a ritual and not a reality. They're going through the motions, they're keeping up the pretense of worship, while in reality doing and giving as little as they can get away with. And so in today's passage we hear God through Malachi accuse his people of showing contempt for his name. Not only that but he points out the difference between the honour that the priests readily give to people that they respect with the dishonour that they are showing to God. Even a merely human Governor or master, or or perhaps in today's terms, a, a, a boss or a line manager, deserves and receives greater honor than Israel was bringing to God. Why has this situation arisen? Well, we know that 80 years earlier, so soon after the return from the exile, two other prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, had encouraged the rebuilding of the temple with glorious promises of God's blessing. When the Israelites returned to Jerusalem, their hopes were high. The city and the temple were going to be restored and God's promises were going to be fulfilled. But the Israelites' actual post-exile reality is rather different. hundred years later, their nation is still an insignificant, dependent territory, still under the control of a foreign power. The land is barren, The harvests are poor, life is hard. And although the temple, the, the focus of worship, has been rebuilt, it's physically and spiritually inferior to the old one. It's nothing like the grand temple of Solomon. And frankly, they're not seeing the evidence of God's presence that they were expecting and hoping for. One book I read described it as a period after the fireworks. A period, um, perhaps a bit like our own in many ways, in which God's people are having to live more by faith than by sight. So I think it's reasonable to imagine that the people felt disillusioned and disappointed, let down and forgotten by God, disappointed that what he's promised doesn't seem to be happening, wondering if it was all worth it. Maybe they blamed God for the exile in the first place. Either way, they don't fully trust him and this heart attitude is reflected in the poor quality of their worship and their service. Essentially, they thought God wasn't bothered about them so they didn't need to bother about him. Their hearts aren't in it. And I wonder whether, if we're really honest, any of this rings true for us today. We haven't been geographically in exile, of course. But in many ways, at various points over the last couple of years, we have experienced a form of exile. Not being able to meet together in person for large chunks of time, being separated from family and friends, routines and key anchor points of our lives being disrupted or lost. Some of us have experienced unexpected blessings and and closeness to God. In this season, but for others it's been really traumatic. And now, while some of us might be uh, eagerly and zealously throwing ourselves back into life, church, community, ministry, some of us, for all sorts of reasons, maybe don't quite know what that looks like anymore. And maybe somewhere along the way, some of us have lost some of our zeal and our commitment for God Himself. And like the Israelites, if we're honest, worshipping him sometimes feels like a bit of a burden so if God through a prophet like Malachi was delivering a similar message or or challenge to a church or a congregation today what sort of things might he point out what might today's equivalent of impure animal sacrifices be Would it be people only turning up to church every now and again when they feel like it or being passive consumers of church rather than active participants? Would it be people choosing not to serve and get involved in the life of the church and the community because it might be inconvenient? Would it be literally or metaphorically putting things in the diary and pencil rather than pen in case a better option comes along? or waiting for others to respond to a call for support or uh, a request for volunteers so that we don't have to do it? Or would it be giving out of what's left over rather than as a first priority? As I reflected on this passage and and what uh, we can learn from it here in Wanish, I definitely felt some of this might have special resonance for us. Um, in our post-COVID era and as we work out what this next season looks like and I also felt personally challenged about some of the habits I've got into over the last couple of years not all of those habits have been bad by any stretch but maybe some of them, if I'm honest have led to a shallowness in my worship and commitment and now need rethinking I'm very happy to admit that I got quite used to watching church services from the sofa in my pyjamas at a time that suited me and there obviously wasn't much choice about that for quite a while and I'm very grateful, as I'm sure many of us are, that online services were possible at all. But I got used to not having to contribute. I got used to not having to put in the hard work of investing in relationships. I even got used to jumping between online services at different churches to see what was on offer and, and to see what suited me that day. <laughs> Perhaps some of you can relate to some of those things. And it's not that any of them were wrong, necessarily, in the context that we were in. But now, happily, we're in a new season. Though I appreciate that for some, that doesn't necessarily mean full re-immersion in the community in a physical sense. So how can we move forward well into this new season? How can we address any unhelpful habits that have crept in? And ensure that our worship and service aren't shallow, but are wholehearted and are an appropriate response to who God is and His love for us. Well, first, I think we can have grace for ourselves and be honest if we feel that we've lost our spark. God knows where we've struggled and the disappointments that some of us have suffered. We were created to live in community with each other and it's not surprising that many of us have struggled with not being able to experience community in the same way for such a large chunk of the last couple of years. Or if we've struggled with other losses and disappointments over the last two years. And being honest with God about how we're feeling and where we're at is the best place to start. But at the same time, we can take time to repent if we know that our worship and our commitment to God has waned. We can choose not to stay in that place of shallow commitment, but to ask God to renew us and restore us and give us fresh eyes to see who he is. And who he is, as we read at the end of today's passage, is a great king whose name is to be feared among the nations. And that doesn't mean, of course, that we're to be afraid of God, but it does mean that he is worthy of honour, reverence and wholehearted commitment. So let's come back to the passage for a minute. Notice that the priests and people had deluded themselves into thinking that when it came to worship and offerings, something was better than nothing. Lukewarm was better than cold. But that's not how God sees it. In verse ten we read Oh that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. God isn't fooled by half-heartedness. And as uncomfortable as it is, he's rather no offering at all. So let's not delude ourselves about that. He's a God who wants all of us. But he's also a God who loves us beyond measure. And our commitment to him should flow out of our experience of that love. So let's rejoice in that love, to remember how we've experienced it in the past and choose to stand on his promises, whether or not we're seeing them being worked out in our lives and in the world right now. And lastly, we can ask God to show us in this new season what it means for us to be wholehearted in our worship and our service to him. What that looks like in practice will be different for each of us. Maybe it means taking the step of coming back into church regularly if we're not already doing so, though I know that still won't be right for everyone. Maybe it's committing or recommitting to a home group or to a new era of ministry or or something that we used to do in the past but have got out of the habit. Maybe it's choosing to invest in relationships with each other and with the wider community again. Maybe it means being the first to respond to a call for support instead of hoping that somebody else will fill the gap or putting things in our diaries in pen rather than in pencil. So as we close, we're going to have a few moments of quiet. Um, Anna's going to play some quiet music in the background to reflect and ask God what response is appropriate for each of us today whether it's remembering afresh and being thankful for God's faithfulness or whether it's repenting of a shallow and half-hearted approach to worship or whether it's committing to step out in a new way. So let's ask God to speak to us as we spend a few minutes
0: in quiet reflection now.